0: testing from uh the f-150 we would like to thank ford f-150 studios for bringing dan Lorden this amazing <laughs> audio today ford podcast in america <laughs> american made podcasting full, full, working in america. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we like to hear
1: 30 a.m. on the East Coast, which is fine, because that's where we are. We don't have to go back and forth on that one. It's uh, Dan and Shea, Mr. 304. Um, Shea, what are we
0: talking about today? Uh, we're going to be talking about the wall. Um, and Actually, more generally, Trump, Trump's immigration policy, um, and kind of getting to explaining why two children have died in Customs and Border Patrol custody um, over the past... Um, couple months uh yeah. so there's there's a lot of like horse show politics or a horse race politics going on right now just about like who's going to cave with the demands for the with the government shutdown and i think yes. the, because, right the is shut down. because the government is shut down um yes. and i think it'd be beneficial for people to understand why there is even uh, this debate in the first place um why there seems to be such disparate understandings of what this country needs to do in terms of immigration policy. So that's why we're talking about it. So I guess in general, we should start with like what the Trump administration has changed um, from previous administrations and how that has led to a buildup of people at the border. Um, So the big thing is the closing of ports of entry every once in a while. So they did that when the caravan was coming. Um, Trump is threatening to do that again, um, and basically the Justice Department's um, acting order is to arrest people who are seeking asylum when they enter a port of entry. So, like before, before the Trump administration, these ports of entry, so like the border crossing at Tijuana in San Diego, for example, was like the go-to place for those trying to enter the United States to cross the border. That was the main crossing point for a lot of people. Since there has been this crackdown from the Justice Department and the whole uh, child separation issue, um, a lot of people have been trying to cross at more remote locations, say in like the Arizona and New Mexico desert, Um, whereas before a lot of migrants, especially women and children were not crossing at those remote locations and people say it's a direct result of this policy change and with the crossing of the border at more remote locations combined with the buildup of people in these holding um places uh, these um, facilities these holding facilities um because the trump administration has gotten rid of the catch and release as they like to call it. Um, So whereas before um, people would be processed at the border, given an immigration court date, and then kind of trusted to return to immigration court uh, under the penalty of being automatically deported if they don't make the court date. um, Now they're holding all these people at um, detention centers, holding centers, um, including children. talk about that policy, because that policy does until you add in that extra part of court, that they face immediate
1: deportation if they don't return for their port date kind of thing, mm-hmm. it kind of, I mean it's it's pretty obvious to see how you can shape the rhetoric to say we're taking people who are illegal aliens and just dropping them off in the country and expecting them to show back up.
0: Yeah. I think, I think, the I want to say in one of his speeches, Trump was throwing up, throwing up numbers like 40%
1: mm-hmm. are who comes back or something like that. Um, and the other 60% are just, you know, illegal people who are in our country now. But I think, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the total number of people who do not show up for their court date is slightly under 3%. seven
0: I, percent I, of people just return. Um, I would have to look that number up, and I can do that real quick. Um, but I, I do know that... Um, so I think another thing to understand is that those people are not trying to immigrate illegally to the United States. They are trying to immigrate right. leg- legally. They are trying to use a form of international law, which is asylum law, asylum law that law. all the countries in the world recognize. Where if you can claim threat, like bodily harm threats, um, yeah. on your person, then you are allowed to claim asylum in another country. And so that's why friends? these. People are voluntarily surrendering themselves to border agents yeah. and putting themselves in the custody of border control um, because they are trying to follow a legal method to enter the country, which is something that is completely lost in a lot of this conversation. Like People are like, well, you shouldn't have crossed illegally into the country. It's like they're trying to follow a legal process, a process that is acknowledged by all the nations in the world. And so they should be entitled to, I don't know, basic dignity at the very least. I mean, we could be more humanitarian and argue that everyone deserves basic dignity, but certainly people that are following the legal process and legally trying to enter the country should get such treatment.
1: Well, and that's why the rhetoric, you know, surrounding those ultra xenophobic ads up to, you know, in the final few days of the midterms this year, you know, that were all about the um, the caravan, the, the asylum-seeking caravan coming up from through Mexico to the border. That's why the rhetoric just stopped after the midterms, right, because it was blatantly false. You know, they weren't a bunch of um, uh, people trying to seek illegal entry or cause harm to anybody. They were following a legal process, and the GOP threw out, you know, a bunch of xenophobic racist ads at the very end of the midterms that there wasn't enough time to, in good faith, repute, but then drop them, of course, after the midterms because there's nothing to
0: them. So there, there's a lot of things going on. One is that Trump has found in his base something that people can be angry at, especially if they view it as an injustice. So they, they think it is wrong, as people like to say, that... People are cutting the line and coming to America and doing so in a manner that they view has little consequences. So they view that as unfair. Um, And so that's just a convenient characterization, um, honestly, in my mind. Um, But so going to what you were saying earlier, Dan, so you you are actually, (laughs) both figures you put out were correct. It's just a matter of how you want to look at them. So yeah, so when Trump cites that only 60% of people show up to their court hearings, he's correct, but that is in all immigration court cases. When you talk about specifically asylum seekers, and this is through PolitiFact that I'm looking at this, and this is also through um, the family case management program that was set up during Uh, the Obama uh, era, that has a 99%, um, 99% attendance rate in court. And it's because okay. they have a strong legal cl- claim in their mind. They, they feel like that they can yeah. receive asylum, and so they're not going to jeopardize that by not showing up to court. Um, yeah. And, and so in that regard, it is a highly effective way to get people to show up for their immigration hearing. In, in general, it doesn't seem up. to be effective, but for asylum seekers, it does appear to work. Um, and, and of course, you know, this may surprise you, but that nuance is lost in, um, Especially the midterm discussion, because the people that were leaving on that caravan in the Northern Triangle countries, they believed that they had a legitimate claim for asylum. And so they were going to claim asylum. And uh, if it was an Obama-era problem, one, the Obama-era response for a caravan was to send flyers saying that it's not as easy as people are saying to get into America And they should consider that before making the dangerous journey. Um, Trump's plan was to do family separations at the border to discourage people from crossing. And uh, then when they made it to the border, um, have them stay in Tijuana, Mexico, as opposed to getting temporary lodgings in the United States. Um, And very much slow roll the process of processing asylum claims. Uh, to the point of mounting frustration in that community. So just to say, it, it it's a very um, deliberate way of minimizing the number of people that get into the country and at the same time creating a problem where those who do get across are held in uh, these centers. And since they are crossing at more remote places, they are facilities that are not Equipped to handle the medical needs of women and children that just completed a thousand-mile march through the desert to get to America, they're made for able-bodied men. A lot of men that came from Mexico initially, and so they weren't going on such long journeys. And as a result, they don't have the medical facilities. And that's how these two children died. They they, they were not in facilities that had the proper proper medical um, materials to treat them. And as a result, they died. And since they were in such remote locations, it was tough to transport them to a better facility. Um, and it's, it's mostly a compounding of decisions by the Trump administration to make it harder to enter the country at a main port of entry, where the um, Immigrations and Custom Enforcement, ICE, have facilities to deal with women and children. Um, Instead they're going to these more remote locations. They're being held as opposed to set on their own accord to go to an immigration date, immigration court date at a later time. And they're, they're not increasing the number of judges that are hearing cases at immigration court. Instead they're either slow rolling the process or just keeping it at a static rate. And with an increase of people that are going to immigration court you have just a buildup of people at these uh, f- uh, holding facilities, and that's led to problems like this. So I just wanted to create that chronology for people so they could hear that. Oh,
1: I, th- I think I, I, that's a well constructed chronology. I, I didn't know that. I didn't put those those together in that way. I know that Cortez has been saying a lot of uh, has been echoing a lot of what you just said about the uh, lack of judges in the
0: area mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you can send, I mean, uh, Trump and the DOJ have doubled down on, on
1: ICE agents and, um, you know, military presence in the area, mm-hmm. dispatching a lot of military presence in the area, but I've yet to dispatch any sort of, like, federal judge ship yeah. like a lot of judges back down to the area, which could in effect, because, you know, some of those people may not get asylum, right? And if they don't get asylum, then they are rejected from the border and they have to turn around. But you're mm-hmm. right. What you're getting said is a buildup of hastily thrown up detention centers to deal with a total, in, an increase of, of people being held in them without any sort of uh, uh,
0: increase in process, I guess process control, you would call it, right, like judges and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, so that you could
1: uh, more quickly process these, these applications.
0: Yeah, and and, and I kind of, I guess I want to ask you this question now, Dan, of do you feel like the, the lack of federal judges at the border is a sign of incompetence with the Trump administration, like them just not dotting their I's and crossing their T's or is it a malevolent gesture like they don't really care how long it takes these people to have their claims processed it's not top of mind and so they're going to make it more difficult for these people to enter the country as as a process and also like is it a political messaging thing to militarize the border so then you have a perception that it's an invading army coming, not people who are trying to follow a legal process. Mm-hmm. I, I well, just wonder what you, your thoughts are. You said that you said correctly that the DOJ has admitted that family separation is a malevolent practice designed to discourage people from across the border. Right? Like they've always, yes.
1: they've already given science and HHS um, secretary has already expressed in press conferences that they are they are they are creating. Uh, measures to dissuade people from attempting to cross, whether that is... Uh, and I also think, real quick, it's important to point out that granting asylum doesn't give someone citizenship, right? Like, you're not... Yes. You
0: don't you don't just become an American citizen because we decide that your country is terrible and yeah. we're going to offer you some asylum. Right? Yeah, it's not, but, it's not but, the same as the proper immigration channels, which can take... which are also terribly long and don't, aren't getting sped up um, anytime soon,
1: but, you know, it's, yes, it takes you seven years to or eight years or ten years to become American citizen. It's not like these people are just jumping the line like that. But mm. you 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 mentioned earlier and you're correct in the fact that a lot of these are are um a lot of these technicalities are or, or faults or seemingly uh boiled up um processes of, of more people and less facilities or more militarization and less um you know, part, whatever you want to call it, mm. have been both to dissuade people from coming across the border and, you know, if they wanted to dispatch judges to help with this process or they wanted to dispatch National Guard in a aid sense and not in a retributive sense, they would have done so already. You know what I mean? They're not I, – I think it would be um, pretty innocuous to say that they are – that's the wrong word – pretty – uh, ignorant. So, ignorant. I guess is the right word to say there. To say that they are ignorant of what they could do to make the situation better. But you know, towards the the, the other half of this conversation that you wanted to bring up, there's a funding for the border wall on the table, and there, you know, and the Democrats aren't as far away from from helping it as we would have thought they were two would be two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's the chance that we can turn this kind of uh, anger and, uh, as you said, it, I mean they they, milit- they made the asylum seekers out to be, you know, these terrible people who are trying to break their way into our country, um, and with that fear and that anger comes the opportunity for the Trump administration to, to get something like funding passed for the border wall, and I think that they probably know pretty well that this is one way to get that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I would agree. Um, and, and so I would kind of want to shift to, so you, you were saying earlier that it, you made it sound like you're viewing this militarization of the border as some sort of outward messaging and family separation as an outward messaging to those trying to come to America. But now that we're going to talk about like this political stalemate um, with the government shutdown and the wall funding, I wonder how much of it is internal messaging to say Trump's base that he considers this a serious issue, and he's willing to do not-nice things to keep, in his mind, not-nice people out of the country. Well, I mean, he ran He ran on a lot of
1: platforms. One of his platforms was of Law Candidate, and one of his messages from the DOJ has just been work forcing laws that have already existed, right? Like, that was the initial response to family separation. We're just enforcing Obama-era
0: policies that they didn't want to enforce, but they still had. We're just uh, well, doing. Dan, I, I'm going to—I I don't know about that. That That is yeah. their end around for a court decision that happened during the Obama era. Where no, the, no, no, I'm no. I'm not, I'm not saying that was—I'm saying that was the messaging. That, I'm not saying oh, okay. that was correct. Okay, I'm, I'm going to—okay, yeah. thank you.
1: Yeah, no no, 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 no. I was just saying that was—the that the messaging was— we are just doing things, because we had a whole podcast on that. That's not the correct in any way, shape, or form uh, interpretation of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it was not, Obama did not create family separation, and then Trump just continued. Obviously, that was a DOJ decision. Um, but, you know, his 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 rule had always been the rule of law, right? Like, that's what he ran on, and he, and he says a lot, like, I, I want people to just come in legally. Like, of course we'll allow them in. We just want them to come in legally. And he creates this overly simplistic message of immigration, asylum-seeking, that does popularize in his base the idea that, oh, every other country has a law and every other country has strong borders, and I guess we just don't. Therefore, it's a simple progression to say we should have a wall because we don't, and there's an immigration problem, right? Like I said, overly... overly, overly Obviously overly simplistic way to look at it, Mm -hmm. but that's how he's presenting it and all of these things like family separation or um, uh, Any sort of deterrent towards people coming in you are correct not only act as like a uh, External deterrent, but also as an internal feeling of hey, we've asked people not to do any of these things and they still do these things It's time we stop them from coming in.
0: Yeah, so and in there, Dan, you said something about how he sees that other nations have borders that they enforce, and he wow. thinks that we do not have a border that we enforce. And you, and you see the sure. same kind of messaging from the president's spokespeople, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Stephen Miller, especially, yeah. who say that like the wall is a way to assert the sovereignty of the United States. Without the wall, we I was do just not about have to a say sovereignty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean they view it as something that must be done for the United States to be an actual country. And Uh that that seems to be like a very narrow cast idea of what a country is. And I don't know, like, what is a good argument for that, though? Like, an argument against that, I should say, like, well, you don't... Against that is that the EU has open borders
1: and, like internally to the EU and doesn't really have that. kind. Of, I mean, you yeah. can look at the fact that G- Germany um, at this point kind of, or there's a lot, a lot of people feel that Germany over accepted Syrian um, refugees, you know, and there's some, some damages there, but internally to the EU, they have open borders, right? Mm. Like when you go from Germany to Austria, you don't check a path, you don't, you know, stop by, you just kind of drive through. When you go from Ireland to Northern Ireland, you don't stop passport you just kind of go through mm-hmm. I mean you can look at it like the, I mean the, the argument for them is that the president's number one duty is to protect Americans and if you're not Americans you should not be afforded the protection that uh, Americans are right like yeah the sovereignty the sovereignty argument is that we are a sovereign country we're allowed to decide what we want to do with our borders we're allowed to decide what we want to do with our people and we want to let in um, but the argument against it is that there's plenty of countries that don't have that there's plenty of countries that do Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also nothing to suggest that, we've talked about this a few times, there's nothing to suggest that a wall does anything to stop the problems
0: that that certain people are looking to stop. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's where I'm getting tripped up in my mind, is that there are two arguments. One makes you sound like you're advocating for open borders, which... I don't know. I'm not sure a lot of Americans are on board with that, open borders. But then there's the other argument where it's just like a wall is ineffective. It, it's yeah. not the best way to create a border. In fact, in many ways, like there's been one, a major study, the Mexican Migration Project um, done out of Guadalajara and Princeton. It shows that it might actually encourage permanent settlement of illegal immigrants in the United States because it's created such a high cost to um, cross the border, whereas before the border wall or the fence, whatever you want to call it, that has been put up in a lot of the southwest of the United States, it was a pretty low-cost thing to cross the Rio Grande, do some seasonal work in America, and bring that money back to your family in Mexico and repeat that process year after year. Whereas now that it's a much higher cost of crossing the border, it's like... It's the lower cost thing to just set up permanent residence in the United States. And I feel like that is also lost. Like, people think that the wall is an affirmative solution to stopping migration, when in fact it might even have detrimental effects to those who want to decrease the presence of illegal immigrants in America. And you also have to look at what's the purpose of decreasing the
1: amount of illegal immigrants in America, right? Like, what problem are you trying to solve with that? Mm -hmm. And is the wall the correct way to do that or is serious immigration reform, which we haven't had in a long time, you know, to understand and look at not only why people want to come here, but why people want to leave and how our our uh, green card system or our citizenship is incompatible or compatible with those reasons. Right. If you want to claim U.S. sovereignty and just figure out what's best for the economy and stuff like that, there's a lot more that needs to be done than just say, let's just throw up a
0: wall. Yeah, and so I guess now maybe we can get into the whole shutdown politics to wrap up. Um, Because for those listening, I guess, for the first week that this is out, the government is shut down, um, mostly because Trump says he won't sign a uh, continuing resolution or a short-term spending package. It does not include some money for the wall. Um, He's put a number at $5 billion, um, the Democrats have talked him down to like 1.3 billion, and he still won't sign a resolution um, with that figure. Um, so the government shut down because of Trump's wall, and I wonder with Democrats in the House now, is there a chance that he has anything in his immigration policy continue forward? And like, will some laws which both the left and right agree are outdated with regards to immigration, be addressed in this new Congress. Will the wall be funded? Like, how I'm is not, that going to continue? I don't know. I'm <laughs> not usually this partisan about
1: mm-hmm. things like this, but I have no idea why the Democrats would give Trump 1.3 billion dollars towards the wall. Right? Like, I, I, I really, and this is something my dad and I have talked about. I have no under, I don't know why they would give him a penny. Right? So. He runs on this platform that's like, we want to build a wall. Mexico will pay for it. Mm-hmm. Then he runs. And then a few months ago, he comes out and he goes, because of the trade deal that we now have with Mexico, the wall will pay for itself through increased taxes. And then everyone's like, that's not real. Mm-hmm. And then he comes out and he goes, because of the tariffs we'll put on other people or that we put on other people, we've collected $7 billion in external tax revenue so we can build the wall with that. And everyone's like, that's not how tariffs work. China didn't pay for it. We pay for, like the American consumers pay for that. Mm-hmm. Seven, That's that's just $7 billion in increased t- tax revenue, basically, mm-hmm. which just means you just raise taxes.
0: Mm-hmm. And then he
1: comes back and he goes, well, we'll just pay $5 billion for it after all that. Like, after all those like, things, it's just like, well, we'll just pay $5 billion because illegal immigration costs us $230 million a month, which everyone was like, that's also not true. So now he's just like saying we want $5 billion because we want $5 billion. And... I don't get why the Republicans that voted for him would want to do that with no understanding of, like, why we would spend $5 billion on something like that, that we all, you know, that was promised Mexico pay for But on top of all that, I have no idea why the Democrats are are considering and have been discussing giving him a billion, two billion, something like that. Like, first of all, Democrats are going to have the House in, like, 20 days. Um, And second of all, that's just – I mean, I – As a Democrat, I want to vote out any Democrat who takes the who goes from hardline. This is a stupid policy, and Mexico won't pay for it. To well, we can only we can give them a few billion, and that's that's compromise. Like that's not. That's just weird. Isn't that
0: weird? Yeah, I think it's it's a very near term. Like you're very you have a lot of narrow vision if you or near you're nearsighted if you think that this is the right way to go about things. It's like. Well, we're talking him down from his initial bid. And yeah. as a result, he will open up the government. And so if you yeah. just look nearsighted transactional DC politics, that might seem like a good idea. But like, as far as who is going against our campaign promises, who yeah. is placating who with the agenda, in this case, the immigration agenda, then it seems like more of a loss for the Democrats. Yes, you're you correct. And I think it's a huge loss for the Democrats, because if you look
1: two years ago, if you, were to, if you were to say, if you were to ask any Democrat, hey, would you give Trump $2 billion to build a wall, you know, that would have been a really stupid question to ask. And now yeah. it's like, well, it's $2 billion, not five. That's not really, ha- I mean, yeah, compromise is compromise, but that's not really compromise. That's just giving up your entire position.
0: Well, so let, let me ask you this, if they revisited DACA and maybe put a... Permanent resolution, a legislative solution to DACA on the books in exchange for two billion in wall funding. Would that be worth it? Would, like, if they I, if they get something lo- that is a long term solution to immigration, would that be worth? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a there's ever a long term solution to immigration. But to to your point about if they got something for DACA or they got
1: something, um, you know, if they started sending judges or something like that, if they Expediated the asylum seeking process. I would be much less. I mean, right now I don't see what the Democrats are getting out of this at all. You know what I mean? So maybe, maybe I could be placated with something like that. Uh, I would still be a little frustrated that, like, and like, yeah, I know how that's politics versus politics versus compromise. But to to have one party or one person go from "We're going to build a wall in Mexico; we'll pay for it" to an entire Congress go, yeah, I guess we could agree on two billion dollars for it, kind of thing, just seems like
0: everybody moving in the wrong direction yeah yeah i agree yeah i mean i I I think you need to i'd probably take daca you would take yeah i mean i guess at the end of the day it's not like bargaining on a used car you're not trying to get the lowest price possible um and maybe that's how some democrats are looking at it i will say it. it is important to realize um with trump's most recent tweet about how he says he might just shut down the southern border What that would mean, like, because it's a border, you need to legally cross it in order to go from one country to the other, in this case, Mexico and the United States. So what that means is that the ports of entry will be closed. So people who are trying to legally go back and forth between the United States and Mexico would no longer be able to do that while the border is shut down. And so that has some very, like, local impacts on, like, the local communities that are like border towns basically. So like Tijuana and San Diego, El Paso, and Ciudad de Juarez, um, Brownsville, Texas. There, there is a lot of commercial interest with keeping those ports of entry open um, for just commercial reasons, shopping and trade commerce reasons. Well, and and I mean, there's, there's a lot of countries that have probably done that, but the one that comes
1: to mind right now is Berlin in the, you know, the early fifties, right? The late forties, right? Like we just shut down we cut a city in half, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what did that do to a city, and what did it do to the country, right, because we also, the country cut in half, but, but like, what did it do to that city to one day, you know, you've got friends or colleagues or spouses or kids, you know, that are just across the border,
0: because that's part of the border, you know, I mean, we just go across it, and then suddenly they're gone. Oh, I mean, that's already happened in, in a lot of ways, um, with the way that we currently enforce the border. I mean, it's, it's not like East and West Berlin. But I mean, families are very much divided, um, especially like the native Mexican communities that were there before the US acquired that territory. Um, Just I remember talking to a few people who are in like that situation in El Paso, and Juarez and how families are just like, kind of cut off from one another, because it's much harder to get to each other now that they're in two distinct countries. But I'm just saying that there, what I'm trying to get to there is that there might be some like local pressure on Democratic representatives should these border crossings be shut down because of yeah. um, the, Trump's temper tantrum with the border wall. So basically trying to look at why not all the Democrats, but some Democrats would finally cave and think the shutdown is not worth um, placating Trump. Um, or denying Trump any money and be like, all right, well, if we give him 2 billion, he's not going to build an entire wall across the Southern border with just $2 billion. He needs a lot more money. And so maybe they'll think it's like a short term victory. And, and I, I think it's, it's,
1: it's also naive to look at this. I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at this more like a, you know, you could have predicted two years ago that this situation would have happened, right? Mm-hmm. If you, if you, elect somebody who says, we're going to do something, another country's going to pay for it, and then you spend two years going, the other country's not going to pay for it. But they spend two years going, here's the need for it. You know, inevitably, it was obvious that we were going to have to pay for it if it ever happened. But we finally got to the point where, you know, he lost the House, he's getting freaked out, he knows that, you know, he probably will be a one-term president. Um, This is, like, his main thing. I, if I were the Democrats, I would want a lot more before I gave over $2 billion for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think maybe, I think we should close out with just, because we're talking about re-election, we're talking about the Democrats possibly negotiating and giving some money to the president, to realize that the wall is more than just like a physical thing, it's more than just a policy solution. It is a symbol yes. in the eyes of a lot of people. And maybe these Democrats that want to give $2 billion do not see the symbolism behind the wall Um, because they're like, well, we already have a pretty militarized border. We already have fencing up in a lot of places. What is $2 billion on a wall that's going to cost much more than $2 billion? That's not going to effectively deny people the ability to emigrate to the United States. Why not um, placate Trump? And the answer is that there's also symbolism behind building a huge concrete wall on the southern border um, and what that shows the, our southern neighbors and what it shows the rest of the world as far as how we view outsiders. And I wonder what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I've never really thought about this until now, but it's a really odd thing for a country that is extremely interventionist to
0: build. Mm-hmm. Right like we're, we're not an isolationist country, right? We don't stay out of Middle Eastern
1: conflicts We continually go into other parts of the world to intervene and whether or not you think that's good or bad You know you can you can say that a lot of the stuff that in Iraq or Afghanistan or um, In the Middle East has been justified or not justified depending on what your policy stances are but I, I've never really put that irony together until now that we would have this like incredibly America-centric sovereign you know, we're our own country. We can do what we want. And at the same time, still be engaged with, you know... Although, you know, Trump did say he wants to pull out Syria soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but still be so engaged with the rest of the world in every other kind of way. You know, if we were a keep-to-ourselves and you keep-out-of-us because we're a keep-to-ourselves kind of country, maybe that says to the rest of the world we're serious about that. But right now, it kind of just says, like, hey, we're happy to come over and around with what you guys are doing, but never never come over here. Yeah. it, it also is... It also, I want to get your thoughts on this, to me, it's the antithesis of Ellis Island, right? It's the antithesis of the Statue of Liberty. You know, up in the Northeast, we have this symbol of, like, freedom and, and, uh, and acceptance and opportunity. And down in the southern border, we have this symbol of negativity and, and sovereignty and isolationism.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot that's going on with, like, how you perceive those two different symbols of America... Um, because I mean that that the the Emma Lazarus Lazarus quote on the Statue of Liberty, um, "Give me your poor and huddled masses," and so yeah. on and so forth, has been quoted by a lot of Democrats in this immigration fight, um, and with other immigration battles like the uh, the Muslim ban and the uh, shithole country comment that Trump made, yeah. um, it's come up again and again. It seems to be the rallying point for uh a lot of these uh people who are pro-immigrant um but but i I think it also is interesting because it that was like the old it's like the old school version of immigration and that's where like a lot of communities like former immigrant communities are coming down on the side of trump and the republicans saying well we followed an ordered process to get here and so they should as well. But we're living in two different eras where the requisites for becoming a legal citizen are just vastly different. It's not like showing up to Ellis Island and waiting in line, like actually waiting in a physical line to be processed. It's much more, it's much more difficult now. There's there's a much longer waiting period. And in destable parts of the world, waiting a couple years, when you're in El Salvador, which has the highest murder rate of any country in the world, uh, you don't want to stick around for two years. Yeah. And and so, and then it also shows two different realities that people have about immigration. No, well, I think
1: you summed it up. I think that that's a, a, a I don't know, a conversation that I guess I haven't really put together. That, that, uh, that symbolism, of, of that, that, that duality of symbolism of America, right? Like, Which of these two symbols do we want to be known for going forwards? Because you're right, at the end of the day, the wall is very little more than a symbol. And also, something real quick, $2 billion, as you said, isn't going to build a wall. So, you know, there's a chance that if the Democrats give them $2 billion and then hold everything else hostage for two years, nothing happens anyway. um, Which is possibly what a few of them are thinking. But, uh, yeah, which of those symbols do we want to be known for?
0: All right. Well, Dan, do you want to wrap up by plugging social media?
1: Absolutely. Follow us on, on uh, social media at 3 of our pod. <laughs> um,
0: thanks to Shamo for the great book book plug real quick. Um, okay.
1: Dan, Dan Pfeiffer's, uh, oh, shoot, yes, we still can. Yep. Uh, Politics in the Age of Trump. Uh, Dan Pfeiffer being one of our, Podcast, uh, Idols, obviously. Um, White House comms director and uh, staff, senior staff advisor to Obama from um, 2006 2014. Fantastic book. Thank you, Shamo.
0: Um, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe one of our podcasts can be a book club discussion about that.
1: I would, I would be up for that. Yeah, that's a great book.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, we, we can certainly give that a go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, thank you so much for listening. This has been Seamus O'Hara. Dan Lordan. Dan Lordan from the Ford F-150 studios, the hardest oh, working. The hardest, the, hard- the hardest working. Uh, first in class podcast. Yeah, that's a good superlative to have for our podcasting studio, best in, te- best in class telling podcast studio. Best in class, best in class telling studios there we go that's that's what i like to hear that, that's how we do it here at 304 uh cheers cheers dan did you study abroad all right, buddy. <laughs> all right. well thank you so much for listening I remember everyone stay hungry and stay foolish.